Let me take a sip of whiskey before we get going. It's probably for the best. Welcome to another uh, reaction episode here on You'll Never Talk Alone. Uh, a, a quick, um, immediately post-match or about an hour or so post-match uh, reaction to the uh, the Aston Villa matchup. And I believe uh, I can speak for all of Liverpool fandom when I say, well, Alex, I don't know what just happened. <laughs> You know, I don't either. Uh, that's part of the reason why we kind of pushed for this reaction episode is so that whoever was able to hop on could just process the... I don't even know. I don't know what to call it <laughs> that we just witnessed. Well, an embarrassment is a good term to start with, I think. <laughs> and I do want to say, you said this is why we were like, we were going to push to do this. So that you really needed to push for this because you needed to vent. I was like, I want to go to bed. I want to crawl into a corner and like curl up in a ball and not face the my issues and just stifle it all in a very emotionally unhealthy way. You're the one who wanted to talk about this match. So you're pushing for it, man. Don't drag me into this. I apologize for that. I just, I want to get this over with. I want to not think about this ever again, because this is just the weirdest, (laughs) one of the strangest, worst matches I've ever seen in all of my Liverpool fandom. It was a weird weekend for the league in general. And I think that's one of the major things that we'll need to talk about in, in a second here that we'll get to. Um, But let's... Let's go ahead first of all and uh, just kind of address the fact that, yeah, that was um, – I don't want to get the stat wrong, but I'm sure that I will get it wrong. I want to say that was the most amount of goals we've given up in the league since 1963. Um, it was either the most amount of goals or like the biggest – yeah, it had to have been most amount of goals. I don't think that was the biggest margin of defeat, but that's the most amount of goals that Liverpool's given up since 1963. Three, and uh, I believe the the best term I can think of for that is simply that is inexcusable. Alex. <laughs> yeah. How yeah. else would you possibly describe this match? Uh, that I would use a lot of words that would require you to do more editing, so I will try to avoid those. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I feel like inexcusable is probably the the best way to sum it up um and i i mean it started off shambolically to say mm. the least i mean mm. we we knew we weren't gonna have allison we knew that we have had goalkeeper troubles anytime allison has not played uh, and that goes back for years and all you gotta do is just kind of like start off confidently and not let them get an early goal like that and that's true for anybody yeah. Uh, but especially the way Villa ended up playing and what do we do, but just, it, it's an absolute gift. It, it was like just completely overthinking what he was supposed to be doing. It was just, I, from then on, from that moment on, you knew this, this is not going to go well. Even when we started going forward, even when we started right. creating chances ourselves, even when there were weird bright spots where like there was a time that, Three one almost. We think we're still kind of in this in a way because we're making stuff happen. Uh, but even from that point on, you knew this something terrible was going to unfold this evening. No, absolutely. It was. Uh, 
it was an it felt drastically different than um, just like the previous match, which also started off with you know a, an an egregious Andy Robertson mistake. <laughs> you know, yeah. like um, it 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 started off with Andy just completely mishandling something that he you know ninety nine times out of a hundred he does completely correct, um, and. You know, we but we instantly were like, okay, that's fine. That's an Andy Robertson mistake. It doesn't happen often. We'll rebound. We did. We won. It was like, okay, no big deal. This felt entirely different because this felt like because of the um, the injuries, because of the roster mix, you know, mix up the changes. It felt like instantly, ah, dang, we have to panic now, or <laughs> you know, we don't have to, but we're going to panic now. Um, it was almost an instant uncertainty. Because I think we have just grown so accustomed to such a stalwart rock in Alisson in goal that, um, you know, as soon as our, our keeper was rattled and making a mistake today, we instantly went, oh, no, this is not good. And you saw it and uh, you pointed out in the, in the group text that the team, you know, was hesitant to pass the ball back to him. And that the team, which is, you know, built entirely, this our entire strategy is built around building out from the back. We were hesitant to do that. And because of that, we were completely exposed pretty much the rest of the match, you know, and just rattled. Have you ever seen the team get so rattled so early before? Uh, yes, but not in a long time and not really under Klopp. Not, not like this. There was just, there was such a, just resignment, if that's even a word, to just sounds like one. Just to just like have the game be terrible for us. Like from that moment on, you could see, uh, kind of, wow, this just isn't going to be our day, uh, and us feeding into the the problems that emerged immediately. And I mean, to to your point earlier about the error that led to the goal for Arsenal, we had at least had a period of domination before that. This was so early in the match that no one had really established what the flow of the match was. This sure. was just kind of everybody getting used to touching the ball for the match. And this, this was warm-ups, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was his was Adrian's first and second touches was to give that ball up. And then from there, then on, like, we we were playing with 10 almost because we we do use Allison a lot. Like, you look at how many touches he consistently gets per game. You look at how often... We relieve pressure by going back to him and spreading out and having our fullbacks go into spot yeah. and our center backs go into spot and like our and Fabinho dropping deeper to get the ball. We had none of that. And that right. it's so ingrained into how we build attacks uh, and then how we recover defensively from that. And we just had none of it. We looked lost and we, we kept forcing passes into areas we wouldn't like to and giving the ball up so, so easily. It was uh, uncharacteristic, to say the least, of how things have gone recently. Um, but it, it was, uh, I, I guess the question I also have for you is, how concerned are you in light of, um, well, I'll tell you what, we'll get to that question in just a minute. But I, I got to ask first, uh, we got to talk first about like all the injuries and everything that really played into it. Obviously, the news broke a little bit earlier today that Allison would be out 
Um, unclear what exactly it was, unclear what the severity of it was at the time. Uh, we kind of were worried that maybe it was something COVID related since, you know, Tiago's out and Mane's out. Um, but uh, it seems like it's actually uh, a shoulder injury from everything that's being reported. So missing Allison Hindo Mane, does it concern you that missing those players seems to have completely rattled like the chemistry of the rest of the team? Um, yes. Uh, and because, I mean, the squad we had out there today should not be losing 7-2. And the squad, <laughs> apart from Mane, this was the same team, essentially, that that played against Arsenal and absolutely worked them. Like, this is... Granted, Villa had uh, and executed their game plan a lot more successfully than Arsenal did. But, I mean, this... The, I, as much as it is easy to say, well, this player would have fixed everything or this player would have changed everything. And there definitely would have been some changes about how we played based on who would have been in there. I mean, the overall, the performance is collective. And who knows how the having the, any of those players in would have, would have changed things. Like, even mm-hmm. if we don't give up a goal four minutes in off of a stupid error... How does that change how we get attacked? How does that change how we don't yep. win the ball back quickly enough and let them kind of relieve pressure by booting it over our high line and just running onto it and having shot after shot after shot? Yep. And it sure, Hendo comes in and covers better for Trent, but he would have had, what, 70 yards of space to cover? I mean, he's, he can only do so much. And so I, this was just a, a letdown of a style and – uh, component parts as much as anything. So it's, it sucks to not have those players, but I don't, it's an excuse, but it shouldn't necessarily be pinned as the reason that this happened. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well the, the defense has not been great since the return from the, uh, I jokingly told a friend of mine, um, I'm, I'm going to start referring to it as the, uh, the COVID vacation that we all <laughs> went on. Um, but the defense has not been great since uh, with the return. And we've put together a few good matches, I mean, as a defensive unit. But as a whole, uh, I mean, everyone's been a little bit more error prone. Um, everyone who really isn't Allison. I think he's the only one that I can think of who hasn't, you know, messed up in some sort of major way. But I mean, like Andy had a weird un- uncharacteristic error against Arsenal. Virgil's had uncharacteristic errors. Um, Gomez has just not been good um you know since the return uh quite honestly and i've been a big gomez proponent obviously on the podcast for a while uh but even at at this point even i can't look at his run of form (laughs) in the past you know month and a half two months or whatever and and fully defend him um i still don't think we should ditch him but I do think that something is just really not right with him right now. And it's confusing, you know. Uh, It's just confusing that the defense has been so error-prone like that. Uh, What do you think might be – is possibly going on or what can be done to fix or address these sort of issues here? Um, I mean, first and foremost, this is kind of just the result of what happens when those duels and those risks that we took versus Arsenal – don't pay off. They don't mm-hmm. go our way. And uh, in addition to that, I mean, we had th- three deflections go in. And I know Klopp mentioned in his post-match that like those kind of deflections are what happen when you don't 
close down well enough and get a solid sure. block on it, which is true, but also it's a bit unlucky. But I, I mean, I think you, you almost view this kind of performance and this openness that we've seen and this kind of just error prone nature that we have had kind of so far this season. And like you, you view that as why we bring in someone like Tiago in a sense yeah. to where we change the way we build attacks so that we can be a little more covered and that we can rely on someone else to be our playmakers besides our fullbacks. Um, and it, it could have worked. I mean, they, we put them under pressure immediately after conceding and created chances, but then after we conceded a second, it kind of became clear, like, look, we need to find another way to go about this match because we're just leaving ourselves so open yeah. that we need to evolve and we need to change how we're approaching this. And I mean, it's kind of it just down to that and down to everybody sticking to their task and us putting away chances. I mean, the, the, there's a lot of things that, that change the complexion of this match, but ultimately there's just a lack of execution. And uh, there, I had it, can you even call them a line today? Like the back line? Because that was part of the problem is that they were so disjointed and all over the place that there was no, was maybe a hint of offsides uh, on the, the free kick, but everywhere else they were definitely on. I mean, I think the only other one that was a doubt was the offside before the corner, which we couldn't review or anything, but I mean, we were just so everywhere. And just like the ball was coming to us and you just see him stick a foot out desperately. And it, if they don't succeed on that, then there's acres of space behind them. So, yeah, it was like it was YMCA rec league style stabbing <laughs> at the ball a lot of times. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it just was. No, you're absolutely right. This was a, a, a prime example, I think, of one of those situations in which, like, you just knew this is just going to be one of those days mm-hmm. where we're going to be off, the other team is going to be on, um, the, uh, the, the calls are going to go. Uh, a certain way the the bounces are going to go a certain way like in order to have success um in you know in a competition like that you have to have like two out of three factors go your way you know you either have to execute really well you have to have the other team execute really poorly or you have to have like the lucky break or the breaks go your way um or i guess you could say maybe officiating is the fourth factor you know but like you really like you got to have like two out of three, you know, three out of four of those things go your way. And today was one of those in which zero out of those things went Liverpool's way. Yeah. We were we were bad. Villa was good. The breaks went Villa's way, and it just compounded into this mess. Um, so I guess looking, you know, just at that and just kind of being able to say, yeah, like there's, you know, we joke about like, how do you make sense of something like this? You kind of just don't because it's just <laughs> kind of a, a bad, it's a bad time. <laughs> it just yeah. is a bad time. But uh, compounding that with the fact that uh, Klopp has said um, he expects Allison to be out for uh, at least four weeks, definitely missing the Everton match. Um, and uh, he, he said four weeks. And we're normally, you know, secretive about injuries and all. Um, so the fact that he's even willing to say four weeks and he expects it to be closer to six um, probably means he'll be fine before the international break even happens because that's just, you know, how we are. Um, or like he's out for the rest of the year, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but with with that news and the way today went, I mean, are how concerned are you about, you know, 
started off strong. After Arsenal, we established ourselves as, hey, title favorites for sure. And then this happened. How concerned are you about um, the title defense moving forward and how much of this you think will linger? Uh, the good news is that everyone else sucks except for Villa and unfortunately Everton right now. So mm-hmm. we're not that far off the pace so that we can still bounce back. But this is a, this is a result that it, we're not used to having. A lot of the players have not experienced this uh, in a while or ever as members of Liverpool. And we're, it's going to be a test of their mental mentality monsterness. Uh, another term that is definitely exists uh, to see how they bounce back from this. And they've got two weeks to think about it. I, I, we've got an international break immediately. Players are leaving now. It's, that's a very unfortunate setup. There's no time to get together and sort things out. You, everybody's going their separate ways and some have big playoff matches and stuff like that. So I, it, we'll see. I, I, I don't know how this team reacts to something like this because it's never happened before. And I'm hoping I I trust them to be the type to take the right lessons and make the right adjustments from this. And we should ideally have Tiago. We should ideally have Mane. We should ideally have Henderson back uh, by the time the Derby rolls around. But there's a, there's a lot to figure out and there's a lot of adjustments that we probably need to make. And we've, we've talked for a bit that teams were going to figure out how we played and they would create ways to counter that and, Part of that happened today, and part of that was just us being bad, and we've got to be ready to learn from that. We can't just keep going out and doing the exact same thing we've been doing because we teams know how that is, and we just got to move beyond that and grow as a team, especially with the new players coming in. Yeah, for sure. I think that it, it hurts us uh, tremendously to not have, you know, to have obviously made certain additions and certain signings and everything. And then to not have them even able to participate like Tiago. Yeah. Um, obviously, um, oddly enough, Diego Jota was quite good today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, he, he was good. Uh, Salah was good. Um, you know, it's just like there's so many other factors going into everything that it's like, it, it just was one of those weird, weird situations where team chemistry was completely just tossed out the window due to injuries, due to players not being available, due to sickness, whatever it is, it just was completely thrown off. So like players are just all over the place. They're not in the, their normal positions. It just, it was just, it's so weird. It's just so weird. (laughs) Uh, That's all I can come back to. It's just how bizarre it is. Um, But uh, I, I will say this as well, in terms of like the longevity maybe of some of these issues or what might be, Uh, in the future is I do think that we as watchers of the Premier League have gotten a little spoiled about the past couple of seasons and there being just a clear-cut dominant team or two teams, you know? Mm -hmm. And I know we talked about how last year it was a couple of dominant teams and then everyone else sucked. Um, But before that, it's like it was City and then a bunch of other teams, you know? Like that's for a few years now, it Honestly, not even for a few years. This has been, for the better part of the past decade, it's almost always been, here's an obvious clear-cut team or maybe two teams that battle it out and that's it. Um, And I just, I think we've gotten, not spoiled, but we've gotten used to the fact that that's how the league has been. And I just wonder if maybe this is a year in which like a little bit more of um, football normalcy returns in which every now and then the best teams just lose matches to teams they probably should beat 
just because like it's a little bit more even. You know, there was something I felt like the Premier League used to always have. It was like top to bottom, a little bit more even or a little bit better quality, like top to bottom. And in recent years, it's been very top heavy. And I just wonder if that maybe that's just a product um, of of some of the the bottom teams just getting a little bit better or playing a little bit smarter tactics or just signing just good enough players to be good. You know what I mean? I just wonder if there's a factor, if that's a factor in it as well, you know? Yep. I, I think it definitely plays a part. I mean, we think we talked in our text thread or and I mentioned to somebody that like the, the signing of Ollie Watkins was a huge perk for Villa because I mean they did create a fair few amount of chances last year and they just couldn't score them uh and I mean we saw it in the the match after we'd won the title last year that they had chance after chance after chance and they just couldn't finish and we won 2-0 but today was a day where they created a bunch of chances and they had someone who could actually put them away uh it, one was on their team three of them were on our team but you know <laughs> they 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 found a way to put those chances away and it, it I agree that it's these teams throughout the league and they now have, I mean, they had good squads before, but now they're able to kind of put them together and create something with them. And that goes hand in hand with the top teams trying to go so far, push the boundaries of systems and player roles so far beyond what the norms are that when those gambles and when those risks and when those roles aren't being executed properly, they're just, there's just so much space and so much openness left left in behind and left to be exploited and they they did that perfectly today i mean you look at how well it worked against arsenal when we pushed our back line up and we're like oh this just means that we're pinning them in their half and they can't get out and we're just grinding them out but today it was like why is our line so high up we it's the same thing it just was done differently and it looks really dumb when you don't when you don't do it correctly (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine who is a uh, a, a co-worker, a colleague who's a, a United fan, and we were both joking about how, like, man, it's so weird that there was no Premier League this weekend, right? <laughs> right? Um, but uh, it it has been a strange weekend. I mean, you had results from, obviously, the, the United and Tottenham match. You had results from uh, Leicester and... Uh, at West Ham, right? That's who they yeah. beat them. Yeah, um, you had our result as well. It was kind of an odd match, or an odd uh, weekend um, for all these different matches and scorelines. And that's why I kind of like I'm not reading too deeply into this result quite yet. I know it was like flat out shocking. I mean, to say the least. But I'm not reading too deeply into it because I feel like, hey, you know, I think this is just going to be a year where no one's invincible. Um, and we just have to be better than, better than everyone else again. You know, the way, the way competition's supposed to be. <laughs> yeah. We're not supposed to have to score, uh, or to get a hundred points in one season just to win a title, you know? Yeah. Um, we're supposed to only have to get 90. Uh, right. That was a joke. I'm just kidding. What? Anyway. Um, <laughs> like, like normal, normal leagues and normal things and non mega club super spending leagues exactly this is what it should be yeah so that's why i'm like i'm not reading too deeply into it it just is it's shocking just really is uh but he also raised a question which do you think was the the worst result our result or uh united 
just not even being competitive against Tottenham, uh, who is a you know more more of a rival than Villa is. Although Villa is what second place in the league right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I I mean I think ours probably was a worse result because I mean everybody knew United weren't very good. Uh, this is like this was not a surprise. Um, and I know while we had looked vulnerable, we still looked like we were going to win. And like we, yeah. we had done our part to make the Leeds result look like a blip. But today has shown that that is not a blip and there are things to worry about and that we are not as invincible and not as just – we don't dominate as much as we did last season. Uh, and that – will be a thing that we have to deal with. And that will be a thing that the teams in the league have to deal with. It'll be it's a result that shows that because there were so many times that teams played city in the past decade or the dominant team, like you mentioned, and they just were like, we have no chance. We're just going to park the bus. We're just going to be here and hope it's not too bad. Uh, And then when teams started going at the big teams, they started like, Oh wow, we can actually get results. But when you went at us, you got destroyed because we exploited you. But this is just one of those results that will alert everyone else like, hey, you can go at this team and you can get something out of this. Yeah. Uh, and they may or may not be able to hit back at you. And if it doesn't go right for them very early, when you hit early, it's going to go really bad. So I, I, I think that's why it's more worrying. This result is more worrying for us than I would say the man you result is for everyone else. Yeah, I I would also I'd say though if you looked at both of them just as like just the individual matches, then yeah, it's it's maybe more worrisome for us or or maybe it's just like even. But I will say like to our credit, we have clear cut like identity and direction mm-hmm. um, yeah. as a club and with a manager. So at the very least, it's like okay, maybe we got thumped today because everything went wrong, but. After the break, we come back and all of a sudden everything goes right and we thump Everton, who quite honestly have been the hottest team in the league so far this season. Mm-hmm. You know, all of a sudden everything changes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the conversation very quickly shifts from, oh my gosh, is something wrong at Liverpool? To, okay, Liverpool lost a match, but they're back on top again, you know. And I feel like with United, there's a lot more question marks and that's maybe the solace we can take. <laughs> yeah. As, uh, as, Liverpool fans and also United haters, um, but I, and so that's why I, you know, I, I'm not trying not to read too deeply into the result, and I'm also feeling a little bit good moving forward because I know that we have leadership in Jurgen Klopp and a and a board that trusts Jurgen Klopp's direction and players that buy into his philosophy, and so we know that we have a good foundation there. Um, and this happened, but this can hopefully just be an example of you know what burn the tape of this match. There's not much to learn. Let's just move on with our lives and we'll recover from it. And that's what I think uh, we should be able to see. But I think a lot of that also hinges on health and availability when we regroup uh, after the break. So, yeah, and uh, sorry to cut in, but I do want to ask you because you mentioned health and availability. Uh, we've talked about Joe Gomez's form. Uh, Joel Matip, not necessarily the most reliable. Uh, yeah. I know Klopp has mentioned that we're done in the transfer market and we're just going to find creative solutions for center back. And I know Fabinho played well at center back against Chelsea, but do you think this result 
and the way we've got the payment structures for Tiago and Jota and potential outgoings, do you think we'd make a dip into the market for a potential fourth choice center back tomorrow since it's the deadline? And I know that's not usually how we buy, but this is a remarkable result and remarkable things make <laughs> change plans, uh, so to speak. So what do you, what, do you think that is the answer that we take or do you think we just stick with what we have and grind it out? Uh, you know, I, I'm going to say no, we don't do that simply because of exactly what you said. It's not how we do business. Um, it's not how we normally do it. And uh, quite honestly, we are kind of a predictable club in the way we do things. We target one person. We target Tiago. And it doesn't matter what the club we're trying to negotiate with <laughs> says, we are targeting Tiago. <laughs> you know, yeah. like we do that. Um, I do wonder if maybe this does end up being a result because like we we tend to keep, we play our our cards close to our chest when it comes to transfers a lot of times. Um, it's either we target one guy and it's known and we go after them and we don't go after anyone else. Or it's out of nowhere, oh, by the way, here's Diego Jota. Oh, by the way, here's, you know, Costas Samikas, who, you know, yeah, a lot of times it's people you've never heard of, Jota being the only time I can think of under Jurgen Klopp where we just got an established player out of the blue. Mm-hmm. Um Am I missing anyone? I mean, that's the only name I can think of. I would of. say Fabinho's signing was pretty oh, yeah. surprising. That's true. That's true. I felt there was a little bit of rumor, at least, about that. Jota was just like nothing. Like, it was always... If it was anyone from Wolves, it was... Uh, oh, God, why did I just draw a blank on his name? <laughs> he's going to come to my house and beat me up now because he's so intimidating. Um, Ruben Neves? <laughs> no. Uh, uh, you know, giant guy, swole guy. Oh, Traore. Traore, thank you. Adama Traore. If anyone that we were linked with at Wolves, it was Adama Traore, right? For like weeks, there was this talk of maybe Liverpool target Adama Traore. Adama Traore. Oh, no, never mind. It was Diogo Jota. (laughs) (laughs) So I I don't know. I just don't know because especially when it comes to defense is a spot in which we seem to not really make surprise moves. Um. You know, it's like we want Virgil van Dyke and we're going to wait an extra few months to get him. So I would like, I want to say no, but I do wonder if this is maybe one of those moments in which Klopp goes to the board and says, hey, guys, you saw what happened when we were just a little bit like sh- more shorthanded than we wanted to be. Here's somebody I have in mind. Let's throw the money at him and make it happen for cover. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, that's the the one time I feel like what it all comes down to, and what I should have just said from the start is, if Jurgen Klopp has someone in mind that he wants, then it'll happen. You know, that's how we do business more than anything else, more than secret moves, loan stru- or deal structuring, whatever it is. If Jurgen Klopp has someone in mind, we get them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I don't. I would. I want to say no because it's not typically how we do things. Um. I would be a little bit surprised, I guess, is my answer. I don't know what your thoughts are about it, though. Uh, I'm pretty much the same way. I don't think this drives us into the market. Uh, I don't think it drives us into the market for a goalkeeper either. I think we're just going to write this off as a one-off more than uh, an indicator of bigger things to come. Um, 
but it would be nice to be able to like rotate Gomez out for a bit as he finds his form and have someone that's fit. And it would be nice to not have to sacrifice Fabinho, but at the same time, like, like we mentioned, Thiago should be back. That could be very helpful if we need to drop Fabinho back into defense and put Thiago in midfield. So I think we will stick to the creative solutions portion of defense rather than going out and solving it in the market, despite us right. probably having a list of players we would like that play center back. Yeah, so needless to say, Matthias Delict is going to be signed tomorrow. <laughs> it's just confirmed now. <laughs> the fact that we are so confident that there will be no one, or if someone does come in, it's someone we've never heard of. It's going to be like the second most established defender in the world right now. Yeah, yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because that's what we do. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, you mentioned the keepers real quick. Um, I, do you think that with Allison apparently missing, going to miss a few weeks, I mean, do we keep keep with Adrian as our top choice? I, I know we had kind of talked a little bit briefly in our keep or sell episode uh, towards the beginning of the year about like who we would trust more um, as a backup, whether it's time to let, you know, someone else back, you know, be the main backup instead of Adrian because he's starting to show a few more cracks. I don't know, but I mean, do you still, is he still the best option you think? It's, I mean, it's hard to say cause I don't know how good Kelleher is uh, and Carrius just left. So and Lonergan, who knows where he is, if he's even on the team anymore. So I don't know. I think we will still stick with him just because he has played in the league before and he's the clear number two choice and it would be tough to toss Kelleher in for his Premier League debut in a Merseyside Derby so I don't I don't think we'll change that but it's a big big test for him coming up because we've got some tricky matches uh, in those six weeks that Allison's probably going to be out uh, unless we can magically heal Allison faster so I it might come down to what the players think as well because if the we're back to a situation where freaking out every time the keeper has the ball at his feet that worse for the team than not really knowing what to do when the keeper has the ball at his feet <laughs> and, I, and it unsettles everything and it affects how we play it affects how we build up offensively and how we position ourselves defensively so i don't know but i'm guessing we'll stick with him yeah I, more than anything else i i feel like we've seen today the massive importance of Allison and goal as the, just the overall general and like commander of the squad. Um, you know, he's that type of goalkeeper. Who's not just a shot blocker. He's yeah. the type that, you know, that you really want. That is, you know, he's going to dictate where people go. He's going to command the line. He's going to, you know, bark out orders to where people need to be. And, and Adrian's just not really that he is a shot blocker. And, and that's about it. And he's kind of shown it. And he's been serviceable. And I don't want to like downplay his accomplishments when, I, you know, Allison was hurt last season or anything. But I did, I do feel like, you know, maybe we've gotten what we can get out of him. And maybe there are some better or different options. And, you know, I think I might have, I, I feel like I said at the at Keeper Cell episode that I felt like maybe it was time to let Carius like have a chance to, you know, win us back before we like permanently sell him somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't remember if I said that. Or, I feel like I said that, but I could have just made it up. And I just wonder if maybe if anything would be different if we had hung on to him and had the opportunity to maybe put him as that number two choice instead of Adrian. But 
here we are, and you know we'll work with what we've got um, because we have no choice. <laughs> yeah. Oh well. Oh well. <laughs> so, Alex, any closing thoughts about this uh, uh, this match that we would like to go ahead and, and shut the door on and never think about or talk about ever again? <laughs> uh, I will say this helped to process it, even though I'm still in shock. Uh, I, I don't use the phrase like I can't even or I'm shook very often, but uh, those two phrases apply to right now. But this definitely helped me process the grief and sadness of having watched that happen to us. And I hope we never wear that kit again. Uh, it's clearly down to the third kit. And as much as I like the design of it, it needs to go away. Yeah, you know, I'm the guy on the podcast that Andrew will always make fun of for always liking a black kit. Mm -hmm. Um, but this, honestly, when they released this one, I was like, I don't like this one. And I couldn't figure out why it was, um, you know, we joked about how it's actually just the Croatian (laughs) national team's kit, but I couldn't figure out what it was, but it's the collar, the collar on it. It, it just, it's unnecessary. It doesn't have to be designed the way that it is, you know, um, it, it looks a lot like. The, the black third kit that we had, what, like five years ago, maybe? Mm-hmm. Um, the one that I feel like you had the Sadio Mane. No, I'm sorry. You had the Genie Wijnaldum version of, right? Yeah, it's a little bit like that. But when you get up to like the shoulders and up, it looks worse. Yeah, exactly. And it's something about the shoulders and up in the collar that I just don't like. So I think you're right. Get rid of it. Um, I'm still team don't like the blue kit. I know you, that you've softened on it, but I'm still not a, a big fan of it. Um, so, yeah, I think we just have to always wear our red kit for the rest of the season, no matter what the league tells us. Yeah, I agree. It's the only way. <laughs> it's the only way. Well, Alex, I'm glad this helped you out. Um, I think I leave this recording session more confused than I was <laughs> before I got here. <laughs> but looking forward to a little bit of a break, looking forward to uh, a chance, hopefully, for a lot of our team to uh, get healthy again. Uh, But I think we all know deep down inside that everyone's going to travel around the world and uh, bring COVID back with them, and the league's going to have to get shut down. Null and void. Anyway, well, this has been our little reaction episode um, to the uh, embarrassment against Villa um, that we hope to never have to speak of (laughs) ever again. Um, Alex... Thank you for jumping on this episode with me, sir. Thank you for allowing me to force you into doing this. (laughs) I will resent you for a long time (laughs) for making this happen. Um, I'm your friend Joseph Craven, and this has been You'll Never Talk Alone. As always, we'll flip it on over to our buddy Andrew Ainsworth, who will sign us off. Andrew? Thanks, Andrew. We'll see you next time.